coming up next on Two Cops, One Donut. The trends for these individuals are younger and younger children being abused and more and more violent abuse. Um, and we're seeing, really, oh yeah, we're seeing infants and toddlers um, being involved in sadomasochistic um, sexual abuse. And um, even back in 1415 timeframe, that was, that was available. And so I would prioritize based upon who has access to kids, who's likely to be a hands-on offender and who's trading the most egregious abuse materials. And those went to my highest priority. And after that, I'd go after any low hanging fruit that I could get. If, you know, if, if it looked like they didn't have access to a kid, but maybe they wanted to go for them next. And really it just came down to trying to find the most egregious ones because frankly, there's just too many of them out there. We, we couldn't keep up with the number of offenders. And so we just had to go after the worst ones and, and try and whittle them away from that. All right, welcome back to Cops One Donut. I am your host, Eric Levine. Today, I have the author, the retired Pinell County Sheriff's Office, Randy Schneider. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, Eric. How about you? Oh, you know, uh, back-to-back podcast recording. Um, I hope nobody calls me out for wearing the same shirt in two different podcasts. They're like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Brotherhood of the Fallen, you got to make sure that you represent that that's as often right. as possible. Yeah, let me get that out there, Brotherhood of the Fallen. See, you know what's up. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I. so for those listening, uh, I have been heavily connected with Pinell County the last few months. Um, the, one, the, the department, the, the guys that work there, and when I say guys, I'm being in, inclusive to all genders. Uh, I had somebody yell at me. Recently, they're like, girls work, police work too. I'm from the Midwest. We say guys about everybody. So right. it, it's it's all inclusive. Um, but uh, I've been talking with these guys and, you know, I had uh, the interview with Matt Thomas. We talked about cartels. He got me linked up with Fridays with Frank. Um, we haven't done our episode yet, but I've been bullshitting with them. We've been texting. Um, Brian Griffin, I believe. It's either Griffin or Griffin. I'm sorry, buddy. I, I <laughs> always butcher your name, but... Um, he works for Pinnell, I think as a reservist because he does the AED stuff. He was saved by one. He was dead 16 minutes. Um, and, uh, an AED, uh, would have saved him a lot sooner. <laughs> so he's bringing awareness to that and pushing those. Um, and then they got me connected with you. Um, so if you're listening to the podcast, everybody, you're like, what the hell is this episode going to be about today? We're going to talk about cybercrime, uh, crimes against children, uh, we're going to go down that. It's actually kind of a dark rabbit hole. Um, sorry. Uh, but I do think it's necessary and people need to know the type of evils that are out there. Um, and I, Randy, I think you'll even be proud of me. Um, my daughter is going, she's, she's just turning 14. She's about to start high school. So she's going with me to take a tour with some Kaku detectives that work in exactly this area to show them the types of dangers that are out there without getting too graphic and all that stuff. But, um, I, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm lucky to be in the position I am. I can take my kid to that very easily and have her talk to experts like you that deal with this stuff. But, um, I appreciate you being here, bud. Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's really important that kids at about the age of, oh, probably about 10 or 11 
um, really start learning about the internet because so many of them are on it all day, every day, at school, out of school, whatever. And if they don't realize what the dangers are and, and how to protect themselves, the the possibility of them getting in trouble is uh, is increased exponentially. And um, really, we we need that kind of awareness in the schools just as much as we do about you know the 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 dare talks about drugs and the uh, the talks about gangs and everything else um, because every time we hand them that phone or that iPad or whatever they're, they're subjected to some the probability of some pretty hor horrific stuff and and I think that uh, not talking to them about that not educating them is is just setting them up for failure no I agree um, and I've actually kind of changed my parenting tactics uh, fairly recently um, one of the things that I have been considering like I, my kids are not on social media like that's that, you know, there I have two daughters, 11 and 13. Uh, the 13 year old in July, she turns 14, and then the the youngest turns 12 at the end of the year. But um, I was dead set. No, you're not using this stuff. Period. Um, and it's not that they're they're still not getting social media necessarily. Uh, but I have relaxed the reins after doing some education and controlling. I'd monitor. Yeah. Right. Uh, I'm a, I'm a dictator parent when it comes to the internet. I do watch, but I, I realized I can't not let them use it. Like they have to learn. Like you said, they're, they're going to be on it. Like they need it for life skills now. Like it's a thing. Um, so I'm trying to break that habit of not allowing them to do it period. But no, they, they've got some natural skills now. Um, I've been letting the oldest, she messes around with coding and stuff like that. And sounds like that's not even going to be a job that's going to be available soon enough with all the AI that's out here. Yeah. AI is going to take it all over. And I did the same thing. I, I was raising all three of my kids. Um, when I was in internet crimes, um, my son was going through middle school and high school when I was in it. Um, my girls are, are 15 and 12. So they're right there with yours and, and trying to navigate that. And, and I was the same way initially. Um, you know, I started out working child crimes and, and then went into internet crimes and I, I was terrified by it. And, and so my thing was, nope, you don't need a, a smartphone. You don't need internet. You don't need, you know, any of that stuff. And the first day of middle school, um, my son came home and he was like, dad, I, I gotta have a smartphone. He says, my teacher, uh, when somebody asked a question said, uh, we'll Google it. And everybody in the class pulled out their phones. And he's like, what am I supposed to do? How am I going to learn it? If that's how the teacher is going to teach it. And so, yeah, they have to have access to be able to, to navigate socially and educationally and everything else. And we just need to make sure that we're teaching them the right ways to do it. And they're going to have that access. They're going to have those temptations. Um, and we just have to make sure that, that they understand it so that they can be safe about it. And my girls are on social media because it's almost required. My, my oldest daughter is in student council and yeah. a lot of what they do is spreading the word about different, <laughs> uh, you know, dances and, and, uh, the, the different school events and things like that through Instagram and, and Facebook and, and Twitter and all of these things. And she has to know how to navigate it to be able to put that information out. So I have to, have to give her that little bit of, you know, leeway to, yeah. to be able to navigate that and, and do those sorts of things. But she's also grown up with me explaining 
um, you know, these are the dangers. She knows this is what dad did in internet crimes, not specifics exactly, but enough to understand that there are, there are bad people out there who will do bad things to children. And she has to be cognizant of that. And then we do the follow-up. We check up on her social media. We make sure that we're watching her accounts and checking her devices and things like that. And my 12 year old's right behind her doing the same thing with, with her cheer and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a necessary evil and we just have to make sure that they're educated. Yeah. I'm getting alerts that there's a severe thunderstorm watch. <laughs> so if we suddenly lose power, bro, we'll, we'll try to get you back. North <laughs> um, Texas is fun like that. It, it is. So uh, let's, let's, uh, let's backtrack a little bit. So um, first off, I want to get to know who Mr. Snyder is. Um, where are you from? Uh, what brought you to police work? Um, I, I kind of like showing the correlation that like, there's always something, um, very rarely. Although one of my best friends on my department, I will mention this. He had no desire to be a cop. The only reason he became a cop was because his roommate was going to take the civil service test. Now he's one of the best cops I've ever met. <laughs> so I find that to be one of the most fascinating stories of becoming a cop because he is the outlier. But for the rest of us, is is either a calling, a, you know, a tragedy, a, something really cool we saw. You know, there's a bunch of first responders in the family, military, all that stuff. So, what's your story, Mr. Randy Snyder? Um, I was born in Colorado. Um, oh hell spent yeah! Spent the majority of my formative years in San Antonio. However, um, my dad, uh, my biological father, was a deputy sheriff when I was very young. He got out of it and went into private security after that. But uh, I, you know. Policing is just what I always wanted to do. My my mom told stories about, uh, you know, my imaginary friend was the director of the CIA and he lived in my watch. Um, <laughs> you know, very, very get smart. I had the, you know, the the Apple Watch before Apple Watch was a thing. Right. And uh, you talk uh, like this. Yeah. <laughs> and I go off on missions and things like that. But it's just it's what I always wanted to do growing up. I knew that that's what I always wanted to be. Um, and so. Uh, after high school, I moved out to Arizona um, and met my wife. And as soon as I was old enough, I started testing for agencies and doing ride-alongs and, and uh, going to college for courses. I did some law enforcement classes in high school. And so it was just one of those things that uh, it was inevitable. I was going to get into it. I just had to find the right place. Um, I was really lucky that I found Pinal County. Um, accidentally tripped across it. I always thought I'll be a city cop, you know, uh, and I was testing for cities. And when we moved out into Pinal County, um, I decided, you know, I'm going to go do a ride along. I'm going to check out this whole sheriff thing and had a great time. The guys that I rode with were awesome. The, the freedom that there was in a county environment compared to a city uh, appealed to me and they were nice enough to hire me and give me a job. And so came out to Pinal County and uh, loved it. Never wanted to leave, even when even when there was better money in other places. Um, this was this was where I, I wanted to stay. Yeah, it's um, it, it's interesting for guys like us. I, for me, is a calling as well. Um, it, I knew I knew I was going to do it. And what is weird, growing up in Flint, like I wasn't exactly the best kid. I was always borderline, especially with the friends that I hung out with. Um, and I didn't even like cops. Tell me how that's weird, you know. I yeah. didn't I didn't like cops growing up there. Uh, you know, my dad was a cop. I knew that. And uh just always had this chip on my shoulder about police 
but not my dad. Like, I'm like, well, he's a good one. Right. You know, but the cops, the, the examples that I had, I didn't have the best examples where I was at. Um, and, and a lot of that probably stemmed from my own attitude. So, uh, very hard self-admission for many, but I know I was a shithead and, uh, I, I didn't give you the best, I don't know, canvas to work with, <laughs> I guess you could say, but, uh, no, that, that's cool. Um, out there in Pinell County, you decide to go sheriff route, uh, over the city. Uh, I don't recommend that because city cop life is so fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but when you were going in, did you have any idea exactly what you wanted to do? Did you, did you see it and were like, I'm going to be SWAT. Like, that's what I want to do. Or were you like, let's just see where this goes. No, I, you know, I, I had an idea of kind of a general path. I always thought I was going to, you know, go through the ranks and promote up and eventually, you know, maybe run, run a department one day, something like that. Um, and when I got in and I started working the road, I was having fun. Um, I started doing a bunch of DUI stuff. So I thought, okay, maybe this is my path. Maybe I go do that. Um, but I knew that some of the best supervisors I'd ever had, uh, were investigators. They had gone through investigations. They'd been homicide or they'd been persons, crimes, whatever. And so I knew that that was part of the path that I wanted to take was to get into investigations. Uh, about five years in, I was starting to get I was starting to get complacent. I was starting to get bored. And, you know, that's when, that's when we start getting in trouble. That's when we start getting hurt is when we start getting complacent. And so I decided, you know, I'm going to test for corporal. I'm going to promote, get, you know, shake things up a little bit and uh, uh, see where that takes me. And right after promoting to, to corporal, um, I started ending up in assignments where uh, I was the acting sergeant and my sergeants were getting in trouble. They were doing different things. And I, I started taking on additional responsibilities. And that's when I re realized that, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, not having as much fun bossing people around as I thought I would. <laughs> and so, uh, I went into an investigational role and I knew going into an investigational role, I didn't want to do property crime. Chasing people who were stealing VCRs didn't sound like any fun. Um, I, I love that, it. That's I, what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And you know, and don't get me wrong. It's great for some people and, and yeah, a little bit of the financial crime stuff, which um, that was interesting. Um, but the, the property crime stuff just didn't seem as it didn't seem as much fun. It didn't seem as sexy. Yeah, yeah. And so when I when I got in, I, I said, I, you know, I want to do persons crimes. I want to go go after the rapists and the, the, the those kind of people, because I thought I wanted to go into homicide eventually. Yeah. The worst of the worst. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. About two years in, um, a buddy of mine handed me a internet crime case. Um, he was our internet crime detective. He he did our computer forensics and stuff. And he was out on on light duty. And he goes, "Hey, I got this case. Um, you know, I think you'll do a good job here. Run with this. I'll help you out with it." And digging into it the way that I did, and the 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 different ways that you have to look at internet crimes was really kind of interesting. Um, and about that same time, I was doing a lot with our child abduction response team. Uh, the state had just started a child abduction response team. It was in the process of getting the certification. And as a representative from Pinal County, I was really active in keeping Pinal County into the child abduction response stuff. And I was also getting some information because I was working on um, working on my education at Arizona State um, about child sex trafficking. 
And so I was looking at a couple of different angles and all of them seemed to revolve around kids and helping kids and keeping kids from getting in trouble. And so one day my captain came up to me, he said, Hey, uh, uh, you know, I know you're looking into doing some sex trafficking stuff and, and, uh, trying to move your investigations that direction. He said, I want you to think about internet crimes, go out and research it. We're looking at getting a position for it. Tell us what it takes to be an internet crimes detective, and then make sure that you put your name in when we create the position. I said, okay, great. The, the <laughs> ultimate internet crimes against children uh, investigator is a six foot white male with brown hair. Um, you know, it has English qualifications. Uh, and surprisingly, I got it. Uh, shocking. Um, <laughs> the only oh, qualifications are the ones you made up. <laughs> this is what I figured out. If you're going to let me stack the deck, I'm going to deal the cards in my favor. It's just. Yep. You know, Smart man. Um, it, but it worked. So I, I went to the internet crimes against children and I went, um, to the, to the, the state task force. Um, and I was supposed to go up for a month and they were going to let me shadow them and see what to do and then bring it back. And I got up there and I started having some fun and the commander said, Hey, why don't you embed with us? And, uh, and, and you can be on the task force and, and, you know, you'll get a lot more experience and a lot more education, things like that. And I said, yeah, that sounds cool. Um, so I did that for two years. I worked out of the FBI building, um, got to work directly with uh, some of the, the agents and things like that. And then I came back to Pinal County and brought my, my experience back and kept running with it and had a great time. Um, enjoyed doing it, enjoyed working the cases, um, viewing the material sucked. I'm not going not gonna to lie about that. That was difficult, uh, but... There was there was something to the the way that it uh, impacts you, knowing that you've rescued a child, knowing that you've taken a child and removed them from a situation where they're being sexually abused, they're being sexually exploited. Not only is it great to be able to put that bad guy away, um, and in Arizona we've got some really good laws for that sort of thing. Um, a single image of a child under the age of fifteen is a presumptive seventeen years. So we've got guys that have gone away for 100, 200, 300 years. I've got one guy that's doing two life plus 304. Uh, I got another guy that's doing 287. Um, so, you know, there, it's great to be able to hold these offenders accountable, but to know that you've also been able to protect that child and get them out of that position and give them an opportunity to, to go and live a normal life. Um, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. And so after 10 years of that, um, I, I was retirement eligible and the, the years of viewing the materials was starting to weigh on me. And so I decided to go ahead and retire. Uh, and at that time I was also teaching at Arizona state. And so I, I decided to go into a teaching role and kind of pass it on. Um, but I, I loved, loved the 10 years that I did. And I still kind of keep my fingers in it a little bit, uh, with, going out and educating students, going out and educating parents, um, and then writing my book to be able to get it out to the larger world of here's some of the stuff that's out there. Here's some of the people that are talking to your kids and trying to help parents be educated about what's out there so that um, hopefully my my Padawan who took over my job uh, doesn't have to work as hard as I did. Yeah. Good reference, by the way. I like it. I like it. Star Wars. Um Okay, so let's uh, let's rewind. You get you get into this. Um, you, you basically create the position, 
Um, and now you got to start figuring and navigating this out. Now, what year are we talking? So that was uh, 2014. Okay. So the internet's been around. It's established. Um, and you do that job for, you said, for 10 years? I started in um, Persons Crimes in 2010. Um, and I was doing kind of a, a a little bit of the internet stuff and a little bit of the hands-on stuff up until 2014 when I was embedded into the task force. And then I continued with that uh, through my retirement in 21. Okay. So I want to do this as an education breakdown. So I want to educate the public, but I want to educate cops as well. So getting started in a position that didn't exist, um, what what were the difficulties? What what was the training? Was Did it exist? Um, what did you eventually get trained in? I'm sure some stuff developed over time if it, if it hadn't already existed then. Uh, just curious how you started overcoming stepping into a role that you're, you're, you're basically creating. <laughs> if you're law enforcement, stop and listen to me right now. If you're a police department that does not have an LPR system, Insight is offering the first 10 agencies, that means one agency apiece, gets one camera for free. You have to tell them that two cops, one donut sent you. You heard me right. If you're a police agency that does not have an LPR system yet, or does have an LPR system, and you're not happy with the product you have, Insight is offering you a free camera. No strings attached, and they will install it. I have 10 to give out. Tell them two cops, one donut sent you, or reach out to me, and I will get you in contact. If you're a business owner or an HOA, please stop and listen to me right now. If you're just listening to the audio, do yourself a favor and watch the YouTube version of this episode to get a visual of what I'm about to tell you. I want to tell you guys about Insight LPR. It's a license plate reader. If your agency, community, or business is looking to invest in LPR to help solve and deter crime or to make your community safer, Insight LPR has my vote of confidence. I've met with their team. They know their LPRs, guys. Uh, They're the real deal. They bring over 75 years of collective experience to building LPR cameras and the software that supports communities across the country. The other thing I really like about this team is how much they listen to law enforcement. They understand the importance of working together with law enforcement and getting their input as they build and innovate products and their service to match the needs of law enforcement. In other words, when I complain or have suggestions to make their damn camera better, they actually do it. The Insight LPR team is extremely passionate and takes pride in their product development, which makes their cameras some of the most durable cameras in the market. For the gear nerds out there with that means is this stuff's made of military grade aluminum and is nitrogen purged whatever that means this design makes the cameras rugged and able to withstand harsh weather elements here's the big selling point for me their nighttime scan accuracy is higher than most of the leading competitors in my opinion this is what sets them apart as we know the majority of crimes occur at night so it's critical to have high scan accuracy at night insights cameras check the box with the nighttime plate read accuracy greater than 96% 96% guys that's pretty freaking high. If your community is looking to invest in LPR technology, reach out to one of their experts today or reach out to me. Tell them two cops, one donut sent you. Right. So initially um, it was just kind of mentoring with um, my buddy, Rob Westerfield, who was our forensic examiner at the time. He was kind of the on again, off again, internet crimes. If a case came down here because he had the forensic um, background, he was able to work some of those cases, but that he wasn't doing any of the proactive stuff. Um, it was just if a case came to him. 
And so I was learning some of the ins and outs of the forensic side from him and learning a little bit about how some of the systems work that these predators are going to. When I finally got the position and embedded with the task force, that's when the education really sunk in and, and it was like drinking from a fire hose, man, because <laughs> I bet. first of all, there's, there's a million apps out there and kids are on all of them. And so I'm having to learn how to navigate all of these different apps, what they do, how they do it, how to preserve the information, how to get the information to be able to provide uh, to an attorney for prosecution. I'm learning the reactive side of it from all of the different cases that we're getting and the, the things that we're getting from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, um, because NICMIC is the, the clearinghouse. So all electronic service providers in the country are required if they come across uh, information that they think is exploitive or abusive of children to report it to the National Center. And then the National Center compiles that, sends it out to the uh, agencies to, to be able to conduct the investigations. And when I started in 2014, uh, the National Center was receiving, on average, about 4 million reports a year um, of, of that sort of thing. And so as they were getting more reports, we were getting busier. We were learning about new things. Um, you know, the, the iPhones didn't come out until around 2010. Right. And so... The apps were still fairly new. They had the Yahoo chat boards and, and different kinds of things online, but the availability for predators to go after kids um, remotely was just really starting to boom. And so we were trying to figure that out and navigate it as we were going along. I started going to some trainings uh, through, um, through the ICAC task forces, uh, through the crimes against children's conferences, things like that to, to learn all of what we needed to do. But a lot of it was hands-on. A lot of it was as a new app came out, we download it to a phone, we'd start playing with it and figuring it out and seeing what we could do. Um, we started working some proactive cases that kind of helped push us into those. And uh, really a lot of it is trial and error. And as guys are figuring things out, they build a training for it and put it out there and the rest of us go and listen to it. So are you guys working, um, as you were doing that, did you have any, like your kids or anybody else's kids and stuff? You're like, Hey, do you use this app? Do you know, were you guys using them to a degree? Yeah. Um, I would, at that time, my son was, was older. He was, um, moving into, into high school at that time. And so I could kind of listen in on his conversations and see what he was chatting about. I could see what kind of apps were, were popular at that time and, and use some of that. Um, but I was also doing a lot of undercover work at that point online. Okay. And so I was actively on the apps, pretending to be a kid, going into the, the chat rooms and going into the apps and, and their uh, functionalities to be able to not only learn how they function, but to pretend to be a kid and put myself out there so that the bad guys would come to me. Um, it was, it was funny when I, when I, <laughs> Part of what I was doing when I was undercover, I was uh, networking with other undercovers from around the country to be able to bounce ideas off of them and say, hey, you know, this app is popular out here. What are you guys using? How are you using it? Do you have, uh, you know, warrant go-bys and stuff like that? And 
when when I was working on my book, one of my buddies that I had done a lot of the undercover with from from back east made a joke about how uh, the title of my book should really be um, "My Life as a Fourteen Year Old Girl," <laughs> because that's what I spent most of my time doing for for yeah. the better part of you know five six years was pretending to be a fourteen year old kid, primarily a girl online, because that's what the bad guys wanted, and that's what I was going to to do and pretend to be to to be able to catch those bad guys and a lot of it is trial and error and i it's still to this day is a lot of trial and error um on the part of the investigators because the apps are coming out faster than we can learn about them and so we just have to get on them and start playing so when you start up and you're you're deciding you know you know what i'm gonna go online i'm gonna i'm gonna do this undercover shit and try to catch these these guys um what what is what are you initially seeing and what is how are you like what are the types of questions and stuff and what, like you know you're just starting out so i'm i'm trying to put our citizens in the in, in to, to fully understand like this is what people are saying to me this is this is how long it took me to get this guy to treat me this way or this is how little time it took for me to get this guy to treat me that way so one of the big questions that I get a lot is, oh, what's the worst app? What should I not let my kids get on? You know, is is Snapchat worse? Is Kick worse? Is, um, uh, you know, any particular app? Uh, should I keep them off TikTok, whatever? And really, the, the, the sad part is anywhere that there's kids, there's predators looking to find them. Um, you know, it doesn't matter. Back in the day, there was a, a, a game called Club Penguin. And in Club Penguin, the, the kids would make their little penguin and they'd go around and they'd do little things and they could communicate back and forth with the other penguins. We found predators on that. We found them on Facebook. We found them on Twitter. We found them on Discord. We found them on Kick. It doesn't matter. They're on Roblox. They're on Fortnite. The predators are everywhere that the kids are. And, you know, it was really sad because at one point I was using a uh, an online chat board um, where I was able to get a lot of business and I would go into the kids chat room and in, to get into the kids chat room um, it specified that this was for kids between the ages of 13 and 16 you could be in it if you were um, 16 to 18 but the moderators preferred only 13 to 16 they wanted the older teens to go into the teen chat room and then no adults were supposed to be in there um, if you were over 18, you were supposed to go to the adult chat. And not only would it tell you that as you went to click into it, but then as soon as you clicked into it, it would bring a pop-up that said, you need to be between these ages. If you're not, a moderator will kick you out. And then uh, you had to accept that and, and say, yes, I agree that I'm within this age range. And then as it brought up the actual chat room to start chatting with people, it would have another disclaimer that said, you have to be between these ages where you might get kicked out. And so I would go into this kid's chat room that's designed for, you know, for tweens and teens. And on average, it would take five minutes or less to have a 40-year-old guy sending me a picture of his genitals and asking me if I wanted to chat with him um, because I was in there and I was portraying myself as a 12, 13, 14-year-old child. And it, it, it was... It took no time at all. Um, I would I would use a, a couple of other apps where I would send out a, a message, and it would be something innocuous. I sent one out that said, uh, 
Um, hey guys, I'm bored. Um, you know, hit me up if you want to chat. And within 60 minutes, I had more than 60 responses from adults who knew that I was a juvenile or, or believed that I was a juvenile that were saying, Hey, I've got some ideas for you. Here's, here's how I can cure your boredom. And of course, none of them were, <laughs> you know, appropriate responses. None right. of them were things that should be said to a child. Um, and I had one guy that lived in a neighboring uh, county, a neighboring city. Um, it's about a, about a 25, 30 minute drive from where he was to where I said I was. And from the time that we made first contact on this application to the time that I had handcuffs on him was an hour and a half. And he said he had to shower and drive out there. And he was driving out to have sex with what he believed to be was a 14-year-old girl. And he even stopped at Circle K and got me a soda on the way and bought his condoms. And he was in cups in, in an hour and a half and 90 minutes and 30, 30 minutes of that, 30 odd minutes of that was drive time. Damn. So something like that would, um, at least in Arizona, what type of time is a person like that looking at? Sadly, at that time, um, the way the law was written for the aggravated luring, um, they were only looking at a class four felony and it was probation eligible. And so unless they had additional images of child sexual abuse materials on their devices, um, most of them were getting probation. And when I brought it to the legislature's attention that we're giving them 17 years for having a picture of a child being sexually abused, but when they show up to actually sexually abuse a child themselves, they're getting probation. The legislature finally went, oh yeah, that's not right, and changed it, and it's now mandatory prison time um, and they're looking at anywhere between five and 15 years if they show up to have sexual abuse with a child that they've communicated with online. Yeah, because that's, I mean, that's a huge intent and show of commitment. Right. Um, the problem was the uh, the defense attorneys were saying, well, it's all just fantasy. They're just chatting. If you arrest them for that, it's a First Amendment violation. And we said, look, these people are even showing up to engage. They're they're furthering that act um yeah. and they said well but not a real child that's there and it's, yeah because we're trying to stop them before they get to a real child it was a bit of a fight <coughs> we finally got the legislation passed bless you thank you and um we we were able to get it changed but it it took some work to get it changed and get that information out there and get people to start really realizing that the people that are communicating with these children um, at about an 80% prevalence rate, depending on the study that you look at, um, we're also engaging in hands-on sexual abuse of children. And so just having those pictures um, indicated that there was that, that predisposition that they wanted to abuse children, and most of them were. And we're finally getting some of those laws updated. Damn. So I'm going to – I am not going to be able to keep any sort of logical – timeline or path with my questions because you're making me think of other stuff. So um, what did you find parents awareness level at, at this time? Almost nothing. Um, most parents were handing their kids an iPhone and um, 
trusting that whatever settings were on the phone were going to be sufficient or whatever settings the app had would be sufficient. And as I've educated, well, and, and to, to illustrate that, I had a case just before I went into internet crimes when I was still working primarily persons crimes where um, because teenagers are, their brain is not formed and so they're not always very bright. Um, a teenage girl had sent a picture to Mr. Right Now and we know high school relationships last about a week, two weeks, something like that on average. And so she had sent an explicit picture to this boy um, thinking that he was Mr. Right. And Mr. Right turned into Mr. Right now, and then he left. And after he left, he went and showed this picture um, off to one of his buddies. And the next thing he knew, um, that picture had been disseminated to all four of the high schools in the geographic area that this girl lived in, and it started disseminating out to other high schools in other areas. And I stopped tracing it um, in Tempe, which is down near the ASU campus, which is uh, about 60 miles west of here. And when I went to go talk to one of the kids' parents who helped disseminate this image, um, I said, you know, can, can I ask you do, you, do you look at your child's phone? Do you know what your child is doing? And she goes, oh, no, that would be an, uh, an invasion of her privacy. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> and I said, well, by all means, may I invade your daughter's privacy by looking in her phone because I need evidence to show that she helped disseminate it. And I'm going to look through the phone. And the girl, uh, the, the mom was like, oh, yeah, go ahead. And so I started going into this little girl's phone and she was 14, 15 at the time. And I started finding pictures that she was sending to her boyfriend that would make her gynecologist blush. I mean, oh, God. Explicit photos that were well beyond anything that should be seen or taken by a 14, 15 year old kid. And I turned the phone around to the mom and I said, see, this is why you invade her privacy because your daughter is no better than the girl whose image that she helped to distribute. And I said, your daughter is making the same poor choices. And by you believing that this phone that's capable of reaching out to any person anywhere in the world is in any way private is allowing her to perpetrate the same types of offenses and ultimately potentially end up in the same problems and troubles as this other other child. And I still see that today. And here's the really scary thing. When I started in internet crimes in 2014, the National Center received on average about 4 million reports a, a year. In 2022, they received over 32 million. Damn. In 2020, before COVID came through, they were at 16 million. So if you won't hand your child a loaded gun and say, here, be safe with this, I trust you, why would you hand them a phone that gives them access to millions of people around the world, at least 32 million of which are likely to want to do them harm and not give them the same safety protocols and, and, and talks and things like that that you would give them if you handed them a loaded gun? Yeah. And so I'm finding that parents, especially since COVID, um, are providing these devices to their kids at a much higher rate and with much less education and awareness than they were even back in 2014, because at least in 2014, the parents oftentimes were 
as as educated as their kids on what the the devices do, what the apps were, because the parents were on them and they were doing it. The number of apps have grown so exponentially since that time that most parents don't know what apps their kids are on or how to function them or how to check them or what they're doing or anything else. And most parents don't know about all apps. They don't know about um, the for my eyes only in Snapchat. They don't know about the fact that, yeah, Snapchat says that the picture deletes in 10 seconds, but here's all the other apps that you can install on your phone that would allow a screen recording to go on without the sender or receiver knowing it. And so all of these kids are now able to retain those images and video well beyond the 10 seconds. And oh yeah, by the way, Snapchat keeps them all on a server. Um, and so the parents are just as, as naive about the stuff and even more so than the kids because the kids are using it for purposes that the parents never would have thought of. Dang, I didn't even know that. <laughs> I don't have Snapchat, but I thought it just deleted the pictures. That's for sure. Um, and, and, and by the way, um, if your daughter has an extra calculator on her phone, it's probably not being used for math. Um, if there, there are things called vault apps, most of them are designed to look like a calculator. They will function just like a calculator. And if you put in the right sequence of numbers, what it does is it opens up a back door to a secret storage area within the device where they can store all those pictures and videos that they don't want their parents to see or all the apps they don't want their parents to see. Yeah. And otherwise it looks like a calculator and it functions like a calculator. But when you put in the right sequence, it's a vault that holds all their stuff that they don't want their parents to see. And that's how kids can get away with hiding these things from their parents because they hide it in plain sight in the vault. Hey, Eric Levine here from Two Cops, One Donut. Would you like to accelerate your investigations? Would you like six months of free access to a solution that will help you solve cases faster? And stop what you're doing and listen to the end of this ad to hear about this free offer exclusively for my members of Two Cops, One Donut. We would tell you right now, but you know those people in marketing would be upset if you didn't hear a pitch. All right, who is Finder Software Solutions? Finder Software Solutions was built on the idea that crime and those committing a crime do not stay within jurisdictional boundaries. Yes, I'm talking to the cops out there, so pay attention. Finder's mission is to assist public safety agencies by developing affordable user-defined software applications that facilitate collaboration between law enforcement personnel to close more cases faster. That's really all you need to pay attention to. Close more cases faster. They've been in the business for nearly 20 years and currently support over 300 agencies sharing billions of records annually. Are you guys still listening? Of course you are, because you guys trust me. So listen to me. If you're interested in accelerating your investigations, then Discover Finder for law enforcement. The ultimate solution for agencies revolutionizing information sharing and investigative lead generation. Experience a seamless integration of RMS, CAD, JMS, and numerous digital databases sitting alongside valuable resources like public records, facial recognition, criminal records, LPR data, vehicle information, booking images, and so much more in one easy-to-use investigative platform. Finder allows for efficient data data sharing, unveiling investigative leads and criminal patterns, ultimately solving cases faster, enhancing interagency collaboration. Empower your department 
with comprehensive single pane information system and redefine the way you solve crime today. All right, guys, now that we've checked the boxes from the marketing team, back to the free stuff. Finder is giving away six or half a dozen, insert your corny donut joke here. Yes, that is six free six month trials to the first six agencies that reach out and say you heard about it on the Two Cops, One Donut podcast. This is a limited time offer and will only be available for first six agencies. So contact Finder at findersoftware.com backslash two cops one donut all spelled out or call them at finder and let them know you heard about it on the podcast get signed up with finder and start closing more cases it's that easy yeah i'm uh i'm i'm more tech savvy than um my wife uh so i i know like i know what to look for um even if it's like i don't personally i don't even worry about the apps um i look at the storage on the phone I'm like, all right, the hard drive says it's, you know, let's say she's got a 64 gig. And then I go do the breakdown and like, all right, this app's got this much space. This app's got this much space. Like there is no reason, let's say this calculator app should have three gigs worth of data in it. That's nuts. There's my issue. So that's another investigative uh, tool you parents can use uh, on the house of two cops, one donut. Uh, (laughs) So, um (laughs) Yeah, you that's crazy though. Um I've heard about these apps, the Vault app stuff. I've heard about them, but like I said I I got so tired of trying to keep up and my kids not allowed to even download an app without it sending a permission to us. Perfect. And so it it I already know. I'm I'll look at it, I'll research it and I'm like, "All right, let me see what this app's about." And I've got a few more investigative tools than just Google. Right. <laughs> so um, I, I'm at an advantage. I fully admit that. I know I am um, just being a cop. But parents aren't. Regular parents are not privy to this information. Uh, and well, they are. They just got to look for it. And, right. And one of the things that I tell parents in, in the um, presentations that I put on um, is, you know, educate yourself. And I give them access and, and information on certain websites that I recommend that, that have good information to, to make it kind of a one-stop shop. But educate yourself on some of the acronyms that kids are using and the, the text lingo that they use because they could be saying things and you can read through their text. And if you don't understand what it is, and we've all seen the the, the joke memes on online that talk about the, the boomers that uh, use... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, acronyms incorrectly. Yeah. Um, But these kids are, are pretty inventive in the code that they use. And if parents aren't educated on that, they don't know what their kids are saying. Understand what emojis they're using and how they're using those emojis to say things that you wouldn't think about. I tell parents all the time, if your kids are sending messages that involve peaches and eggplants, they're not vegetarian. Okay. <laughs> They're not talking about fruit salad and, and lasagna. Yeah. Yeah. You need to ask some questions because that that eggplant does not mean that they're <laughs> looking for recipes. Yeah. Uh, the eggplant's not sweating either. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's yeah. And, and so uh, you know, that that emoji of them sticking their tongue out is not them being rude exactly. Um but <laughs> Parents need to educate themselves on that and what these apps are capable of doing. Like I said, a lot of parents don't know about the For My Eyes Only section of Snapchat and how kids can be taking those pictures and saving them and just looking at the, the, uh, the amount of data that it's taking or the amount of storage that it's taking 
um, could still be hiding some things that that kids don't want you to see, and you wouldn't necessarily pick up on it just on that. You may want to yeah. look at the messages too, if she is ever allowed to go on Snapchat. Yeah, yeah, it's not the tool, but it is a tool. It's a right. It's a it's a good way, but. There really isn't a one way for anything on these. Um, what are some of the websites that they can check out that, that can help them? I, I, I personally don't know any. So Smart Social is one that I push um, as kind of a one-stop shop. And there is an app for Smart Social that offers um, some different uh, child safety services, typically at a fee. But if you just go to Smart Social, I believe it's .com, um, and, and look at their website, they have the top, I think it's the top 20 apps that parents need to know about that. If you see that on your kid, it's, it's should raise some red flags. It should raise some warnings. Um, you know, if you're seeing, um, apps like Bumble and Grindr and things like that on your kid's phone, you need to be concerned. Um, it also has some of the common text lingo and, and acronyms. It also has a chart of some of the common emojis and how they're being used or misused. And so Smart Social is one that I, I recommend. Bark is another one, B-A-R-K. Um, and Bark is all about not only um, helping parents be informed about child safety online, but also helping children be safe online. Um, and to the point that Bark offers a smartphone that parents can buy that can be attached to most of the major providers that allows them the ability to use some of the functionality of a normal smartphone, but with higher safety ratings than the average iPhone or, or Android phone um, in being able to block out a lot of the harmful content and access to harmful apps. Um, and then finally, I always just say, you know, go to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, check out their NetSmarts program. And that's NetSmarts with a, with a Z at the end instead of an S. Um, because the NetSparts program has been specifically designed for educating parents, edu educating teachers, and educating children on being safe. And they have videos, they have games, they have different resources for kids to go on and see age-appropriate content that helps them learn what they can and can't do, what they should and shouldn't do online. Um, but then there's also those resources for parents to say, okay, this is how I start this conversation with my kid. The average age of a child coming across hardcore pornography online is 11. And Dang. so parents need to be having that, not just birds and bees conversation with younger and younger kids, but here's what you may come across online. Here's how to avoid it. Here's what to do if you accidentally trip across it. And here's why it's not good. It's not valuable. It it provides a completely unrealistic um, example of what sexuality is between people and here's, um, why they, they need to try and avoid it as much as possible and, and ways to start those conversations about, Hey, if you receive, um, sexually explicit material from some person that's unsolicited, you don't want it. Here's what to do to report it. Here's what to do to, um, keep yourself safe and to avoid, uh, having to deal with it. And so there's a lot of good resources out there. Uh, and NetSmarts is definitely one of the one of the bigger ones to help parents navigate dealing with their kids being online. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a lot different than when we were kids, where you trying to flick through the channels that are all blurred out. 
Yeah. <laughs> His young boys trying to well, see that. And, you know, remember when we were growing up, it was stranger danger. You know, you don't talk to strangers. You don't get in cars with people you don't know. You don't do these kinds of things. And now we have an app to get into a car with a stranger. And it's it's recommended. So <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, 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 the whole narrative has been changed to keep kids from being safe um, because it's more convenient to take an Uber. It's easier to get online and chat with people. It's, you know, using the internet um, in ways that it really probably wasn't initially intended and we couldn't have ever fathomed when we were growing up as kids. Yeah. Um, I think my wife and I actually use that bark app. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, off the, cause we did it so long ago. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, now that my kid's getting to that high school age, I'm definitely going to be a lot more, uh, vigilant than I was. I, I don't know that I would have thought to start being vigilant around 10 years old. Um, but I'm a very involved parent, so it, <laughs> there is no it, privacy in this house with them. Right. And that's the other big problem that we see is that parents today are so busy with everything else in their lives that um, being as involved as they should uh, doesn't always happen. And and especially as it pertains to their kids online life, they're just not as as involved as they as they could be. Yeah. Um, OK. I'm trying. Like I said, I'm trying to stay on a. A focused thing because I want to go down all these different rabbit trails with you. Um, okay, so you're 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 sitting back. You're obviously realizing this is a much bigger fucking issue than you ever anticipated. At least that's how it is to me. I would have not thought within sixty minutes that I am getting inundated with all of these perverts. Um, how do you prioritize? Uh, you know. Part of it is what's the immediate risk? Is there an immediate risk to a child? Um, or is this someone who is maybe more of a fantasy or something like that? Um, you know, it, it all came down to, to risk assessments and determining who's going to be the highest priority. Um, when I was doing some of the undercover operations in like kick, um, and if you're not familiar with kick, it's a, it's a social media app where people can chat back and forth. They can create, chat rooms with up to 50 people in them, uh, or they can chat one-on-one. You can also send pictures. You can send videos. You can take live pictures and videos. And what we found during that uh, primarily like the 2014, 15, 16, 17 timeframe was that um, because it was a Canadian-based company, a lot of people felt comfortable trading their sexual abuse materials on kick because they thought, American investigators wouldn't be able to do anything about it. Um, and and quite a number of people found out they were wrong. But they would get into chat rooms of up to 50 people and just share their images and videos and Dropbox <laughs> links to Dropboxes full of images and videos um, in these groups. And all it was was a bunch of perverts, cha- you know, trading information. And so we would infiltrate some of those groups um, either as uh, a, a kid potentially available to be abused or as an adult who is a fellow, you know, pervert and wanting to trade with other perverts. 
And I would go in and see who's trading the most, who's trading the, the youngest, who's trading the most egregious. And what we've found over the last few years is that the trends for these individuals are younger and younger children being abused and more and more violent abuse. Um, and we're seeing, really, oh yeah, we're seeing infants and toddlers um, being involved in sadomasochistic um, sexual abuse. And um, even back in 1415 timeframe, that was, that was available. And so I would prioritize based upon who has access to kids, who's likely to be a hands-on offender, and who's trading the most egregious abuse materials. And those went to my highest priority. And after that, I'd go after any low-hanging fruit that I could get. If you know, if, if it looked like they didn't have access to a kid, but maybe they wanted to, go for them next. And really, it just came down to trying to find the most egregious ones because Frankly, there's just too many of them out there. We, we couldn't keep up with the number of offenders. And so we just had to go after the worst ones and, and try and whittle them away from that. Um, That's fucking crazy. Yeah, it, it, and it's really sad. I mean, we came across cases where we would go into an offender's house and we'd start looking at their, their devices and we would find millions of, of images um, you know, we weren't coming across people that only had one or two pictures. We were talking hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands, um, to the point that they were saving them, like I said, in cloud storage because they just didn't have enough storage on their particular device to be able to, to keep their library. Man, that is that if you are, I got to stretch on this one. <laughs> <laughs> There's that many people that you have to prioritize. What shithead is the worst shithead? And, and in a way that it kind of reminds me of like how you go after dope. Right. You, 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 it's not so much that you're looking for the user. Now you're looking for the guy pushing all that shit out there. Right. You're going after the dealers. You're going after the suppliers. And that's why I said if we can find the ones that are, that are abusing the children and, and creating the images – they're the first priority because that's where we're going to find a kid that needs to be saved. That's where we're going right. to find a kid that needs to be rescued. Then we go with the ones who are trading the the either the the worst of the worst or the ones who are trading the um, the most amounts. Um, you know, you ask about the worst, the probably the one of the worst ones that I ever came across personally. I was in a room, and again, it's 40, 50 people in there, and they're just trading images back and forth, and one guy popped in and his um, his moniker was Sick Mind. And that should have been a clue right there. Yeah. He, um, they make the job easy sometimes. This, they're, they're, they're helpful that way. He pops up a video and this particular video came from a series that was created by an Australian expat that was living in the Philippines. And he specialized in the most brutal thing that you could beyond the most brutal thing that you could you could imagine um and fortunately he was taken down but uh they were able to rescue some of his victims one of the victims unfortunately because uh, it was so brutal ended up passing from the the severity of the injuries without so, getting too specific what the fuck were they doing um the most horrific um 
physical abuse that could be perpetrated while still engaging in sexual acts. Good. And this guy popped up one of the videos. Um, it's from a, a particular series that, um, uh, unfortunately, I've had to become aware of. And um, he got messages from the other perverts in the room going, whoa, dude, uh-uh. We don't, we don't do that stuff in here. That's crossing the line. You have offended the perverts and pedophiles in this room. And if you <laughs> do this, we're going to kick you out. And some of the perverts and pedophiles even left because they didn't want to be involved in that. And I mean, you got to have standards. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's one thing to be a pedophile, but it's another thing to be a disgusting pedophile. Right, right. yeah. And this guy raised the bar to the point that he pissed off all the other perverts and pedophiles. And I went, okay, you're target number one. Holy shit. um, Now, does this, does this correlate with like sex trafficking? Hey y'all, Eric Levine, two cops, one donut. I got to tell you about my new sponsor, Peregrine. Yeah, like the Falcon. Peregrine is an advanced data analytics platform for public safety. Peregrine builds technology that transforms the way people and entire organizations interact with their data for decision-making and operations. The platform empowers department personnel to create and implement effective strategies, make informed decisions in critical moments, and protect their communities. Peregrine revolutionizes data integration by transforming, cleaning, and extracting meaningful connections between data from dozens of previously siloed systems. Its user-friendly tools, applications, and data visualizations enable personnel from chiefs to investigators to analysts and patrol officers to access crucial information and insights in the format, time frame, on the device, including mobile, that they require. Additionally, Peregrine delivers real-time, tailored insights and context to staff both in headquarters and in the field, allowing law enforcement officers to proactively address emerging situations, stay ahead of potential threats, and make better long-term operations decisions that impact both officers and the communities they serve. Discover more at peregrine.io. That's P-E-R-E-G-R-I-N-E dot I-O. And make sure you tell them two cops, one donut sent you. Sometimes. Um, okay. In this particular case, the, the video that he shared was a sex trafficking situation that was occurring in, in the Philippines. He wasn't directly involved in it. He was just um, creating the demand for the supply uh, for the okay. supply. Okay. Um, and so this individual ended up being located in Ohio. Um, and that I, I figured out through, through the course of my investigation. Holy so shit. I contacted authorities in Ohio. They went and hit his house with a search warrant while they were interviewing him and, and obtaining all of the evidence from his, his device. Um, he said, Hey, uh, not for nothing, but you might check my roommate's computer too. He's kind of into the same thing. And so they popped a second warrant, uh, found that the roommate was into the same thing. They got a twofer. Fucking uh, snitch. He, he was by <laughs> far one of the most disturbing individuals I had ever, so, uh, ever come across. So you thought that this guy, or I'm sorry if I'm getting it confused, the guy that was in Ohio wasn't the same dude in the Philippines or was not. Okay. Okay. The the guy that was caught in the Philippines, um, he was the one who was sexually abusing and creating the images and videos that were being distributed. This guy just happened to be a, a secondary distributor, um, that was into it and finding it and then trying to share it with other like-minded perverts. I gotcha. Okay. 
clear. Ah, shit. God, I'd love to see his face when you come knocking on the door. That would be satisfying. Yeah. Um, we, we, we definitely had some fun entries when we hit houses uh, from, from the look on people's faces. One guy actually shit himself. That was kind of fun um, for me because I got to um, laugh about it. The guy who transported him, not so much. but um. Oh, yeah. That is... <laughs> That's the worst. Oh my God. I've well, had... and the great thing is, is, you know, in, in all the time that I was doing this, I came across so many of those weird cases of people shitting themselves or just bizarre cases that, um, that was why I wrote my book. I, I had people telling me all through my career, Hey, uh, you know, this is so weird. You're going to have to write about this. This is, this is so stupid. Nobody would believe it was nonfiction. And I went, okay. And yeah. uh, so anybody that's interested can read about, I've changed the names to protect the innocent and the guilty. Um, but I talked about sick mind in particular and the guy who shit himself and some of the other weird, bizarre things that I did because I thought people need to know this is what's online. This is who's talking to your kids. These kinds of people are in the same apps and on the same chat boards and, and playing the same video games as our kids. Yeah. And if you don't know what's out there, you don't know to protect your kids from it. Okay. I think we've hit on the the problem, how big it is, mm-hmm. where it's occurring. Um where do you see where are we what what can we improve today? What are we failing at? What do you think needs to be done to start helping fix the issue? If I could find the plug for the internet, I'd pull it. And I'd go back to it. Encyclopedia Britannica and and dumb phones in a heartbeat. Um, but that's just me. That's because <laughs> I've had to deal with this. And and you know, I, I'm I'm an old grump, according to my wife. Um really I think what it comes down to is parents needing to be more involved in what their kids are doing, who they're doing it with. And, and just maintaining those open lines of communication and education so that their kids understand, you know, I, I mean, we had dare beat over our heads from elementary school on growing up about drugs are bad, drugs are bad, drugs are bad. Where is the, the educational program yeah. nationwide for every kid in every school that says, the internet is not as great as you think it is, and there are dangers out there, and you need to be aware of them, and you need to to do your part to avoid them. And then that same process, because I, I'm sure my my parents heard the dare stuff, you know, to some degree. Where's the education for the parents to say, here's what's online, and here's what you need to to protect your kids from, and here's the Here's the barrier that you need to be for your children because there's just way too much of it. Um, and I think that if we can get some national recognition and national legislation that says if they're going to have sex education, then in that sex education class, they also need to learn what it is to be safe online to protect against those same things that we're trying to protect them from, you know, from their classmates or from their their whoever in the, the creepy guy down the street in the white panel van, we need to have that same white panel van talk for them online and make sure that that's being being put out there. 
Yeah, it, it's uh, the education part is interesting. I think that is something that police departments could offer. Uh, for sure. I think that would be because um, this podcast is all about trying to help solve problems, not just bring up problems. So uh, as I sit here and kind of brainstorm, we, we already do something, you know, as far as Citizens Academy goes. Maybe that could be a portion of Citizens Academies, um, something that could be easily just posted online on, on, on a police page website. Um, I think that would be good. I'm a big fan of cop departments police departments having apps um yep. but that it's not easy and the hard part about getting these apps made for police is normally cops aren't smart enough to make them themselves so you're dependent on somebody else that doesn't understand the job and now that's the the disconnect um, right trying to make an app that you're you have the instinct for in your head but you just can't articulate to the to the geniuses that know how to make all that stuff and one so. of the problems that we also come across is the the school boards are <clears throat> hesitant to provide this sort of education to the students because you have those parents who don't want the word sex to be mentioned in any way shape or form which i understand but then you also have the parents who have provided way too much information or at least have have not um, kept their kids from obtaining their own online education about these topics. And the schools are, are, are have a weird balance of trying to to provide just enough that they're not pissing off half the the people without providing too much that then people think is encouraging their kids to go and do this. Um, and so I've created um some formats that i use when i go out and talk to kids when i talk to educators when i talk to parents um i've made myself available and i know that throughout the country the internet crimes units um both through the icac um, task forces and through the individual agencies have put that out there it's just a matter of the schools requesting it or the, the church groups or the you know whatever civic groups um can get the information out there and having their agencies locally go out and provide that, that education. Okay. So let's do a little education time ourselves here. Um, for me in particular, uh, what are some of the indicators for kids out there that the person that they're dealing with that they can't see physically across the interwebs is, is potential predator. What are the types of things that they're doing? Well, the first thing I would say is, you know, is this person talking about certain things that, that maybe a person of that age wouldn't have knowledge of or wouldn't have the education of? Are they talking about circumstances like having a having access to a vehicle that maybe a child that age wouldn't have? Um, are they offering things that seem unreasonable? You know, you get some of these predators. I had one that um, because I because my mom uh, didn't want to pay for my phone bill and, and my phone was broken, um, actually mailed me a brand new iPhone so that I would be able to then, um, FaceTime with him to, to send him the, the sexual images that he, he was requesting of my undercover persona. He sent you a phone? Yeah. Holy shit. I know. I got it in evidence. It's kind of cool. I was, it was one of the, it was one of the prizes that I wanted to take with me when I retired and they wouldn't let God. But, you know, 
does an actual kid have the capability to send you money or to send you phones or tickets? Predators will use those things to try and convince a child. And if they're pretending to be another child, they wouldn't have that. But I think the biggest one um, that I, I really try and push is, is the person you're talking to asking you to keep a secret that you wouldn't otherwise feel comfortable keeping? Or would are they asking you to do things um, that, that, they, that they want you to keep secret from your parents? Because only somebody who has bad intentions, in my opinion, is going to ask you to keep secrets from people that, that you know and you care about. And if they're asking you to take a picture that you don't want your parents to see, should you really be taking it? Um, and I tell kids all the time, you know, if, if you're taking a picture that you wouldn't be proud for your parents to see, your grandparents, your school principal, your pastor, whoever, um, don't take it. Because the reality is once you hit send on that, you have no control over where that goes, who gets to see it. And the reality is it, once you hit send, your parents might see it, your principal might see it, your pastor might see it, your entire school might see it. And are you going to be proud of your, uh, uh, of everybody seeing that picture? Yeah. And, and, you know, having those conversations with kids about don't take pictures that you don't want me to see, um, because I might end up seeing it, it is a good way to, to have that conversation. If somebody is asking you to keep secrets, are you supposed to be keeping secrets? Is that a, is that a safe thing to do? Is that a, something that a, a, a good person would ask you to do? And if they can say, if they say no, then, then that's not somebody they need to be talking to. And that's somebody that is potentially uh, a predator that, that we need to be concerned about. I like that. That's going to, that's going to be a clip. I'm going to make that a clip. <laughs> we'll put that out there um, for parents, especially. Um, okay. What are we in your experience now that you you've you've done this for a while? Um, where are we as law enforcement? Where are we killing it? How are we doing good out there? There are a lot of individuals um, that are out there doing outstanding jobs, protecting kids and saving kids. And uh, what I see is a growing awareness among the administrations that, this is a problem that needs to be addressed and we need to get, you know, get on board with it. When I first started, the majority of the money and funding that was coming from the brass, coming from the upstairs, was going to narcotics. We need we need interdiction. We need canines. We need, you know, undercover narcotics to go after the dope and, and things like that. We've got a narcotics task force. We've also got an anti-smuggling task force that goes out and looks for the people that are transporting the dope across the, the, the borders and stuff. We've got interdiction task forces. We've got all of these things. We've got, you know, the, the trainings that every street cop goes to about how to find dope in a car or on a person or look for the signs and symptoms of, of impairment we're slowly starting to see more and more of the interdiction training for identifying if a situation is, is not what it should be. And that that kid is being trafficked or that person is being, uh, uh, you know, trafficked. We're slowly starting to see more recognition and awareness of 
we need to train people on what to look for um, when it comes to uh, children that are in unsafe situations that are maybe doing things that they shouldn't be. You know, almost every patrol person that I know nowadays has gone to that call of my my son or my daughter sent a stupid, you know, sexual picture and now it's blown out across the school and we got to try and deal with it. And so we're slowly starting to see more and more education for the patrol, for the investigators on how to deal with these types of cyber crimes. And my hope is that just like we saw all of the interdiction training, just like we saw all of the training that went on narcotics and undercovers, we'll start seeing that same recognition and that same amount of, of passion going toward protecting kids. Because if we're going to protect them from the fentanyl, if we're going to protect them from the, the heroin, we got to protect them from the, the, the creeps online that want to sexually exploit them and abuse them. Because we know that those children who have been sexually exploited and abused oftentimes are turning to the dope to, to deal with it, to cope with it, to, to, you know, move past their abuse. And we can kill two birds with one stone by trying to protect kids from the sexual abuse and exploitation that's going to push them toward the drugs. Okay. So it sounds like just, just the police awareness of, of what's going on, how to deal with it. Um, and in the, I guess the training, uh, right. is, is, is all heading in a great direction. Yep. That's good to hear. Um, so we've, I think we've hit the education part. We definitely hit uh, what we are doing poorly, what we're doing well, uh, where the future's at. Um, I want to switch gears now. Um, you are retired from this now. You've obviously do it, done your due diligence as far as uh, making awareness go out there, and you started writing books. Yeah. So you decided to, at least on the book I'm looking at right now, so if you were just listening to this podcast, you're not actually watching it, um, I'm going to show on the screen right now uh, Randy's book, Cyber Creeps. It is available on Amazon. He has other books um, that I am not aware of the name necessarily, but it's under his name, Randall Snyder, A-R-A-N-D-A-L-L, uh, and then Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R. So if you jump on Amazon, you can find his books. Um, the one that we're obviously <laughs> uh, kind of focusing in on is The Cyber Creeps today. That's kind of what this episode's all about. But what are your other books about, brother? So uh, my first book was kind of a, a passion project. Um, in 1923, my great-grandpa jumped in a Ford Model T with three of his buddies and drove from Columbus, Ohio to San Francisco, California. And he kept a journal the whole way. And in the 80s, he typed up the manuscript from that journal. He included a bunch of pictures that were taken along the trip and was wanting to publish it and unfortunately passed before he could do that. And um, in 21, after my mom passed, I thought, you know, all of this family history is being lost. And in reading through the journal, it was really interesting talking about the, the the roads that they followed and the the prices of gas and the odd jobs that they did to make money and just the idea that four guys who just graduated college could jump in a Model T and drive 30 miles an hour across the country on a whim with no real money in their pocket. They got a tent, you know, strapped to the back of the Model T and they're just going to go have an adventure. Um, and so I, I thought, you know, I... I I think it would be interesting to put this out there. So I 
went and contacted the surviving family members of the other guys that were with him, got their family stories, got their information, got some additional pictures, and then put that out there. And of course, Murphy's Law, uh, right after I published, one of the guys that I had talked to said, hey, um, I was going through some boxes and I found my dad's journal from that same trip. Would you like the other the other <sighs> perspective? So I republished it. It's called Hellbent Anthology, and it is the two journals, um, my great-grandpa's and then his dad's, um, of the same trip, um, but from different pr points of view, different perspectives yeah. um, of what life was like in 1923. Um, and it happened to coincide with the the uh, Yellowstone spinoff 1923, and ironically enough, that takes place in Montana and Bozeman, and my their trip took them through Bozeman. So you can see what's going on in, uh, you know, Taylor Sheridan's television show, but then you can read about it from some of the guys that were actually driving through that area and checking out the Yellowstone park and through Bozeman and things like that in 1923 and the, the experiences that they had on that trip. Um, and I did it to, you know, to kind of honor my great grandpa and to, to show people what life was like a hundred years ago and how how much simpler and better it probably was uh, than what we've got today. Damn. So basically they're original vloggers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you think about it. Um, electronics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I was in the process of writing my third book, which is called Bloodline. Um, and it's based on a series of true cases that some friends of mine investigated down here in Pinal County. And um, my 12-year-old got mad at me one day because she wasn't allowed, allowed to read Cyber Creeps. And she wasn't <laughs> going to be allowed to read Bloodline. And she's like, when are you going to write something that I can read? Yeah. Said, okay, fine. Give me an idea. And she goes, let's write a book about a zombie in love. I went, okay, I can work with that. And so she and I sat down together and sketched out this book. And she helped do some of the writing. And she did the cover art for it. And we created a book called Love and Brains Infection. It's a, <laughs> in the series. <laughs> okay. Uh, on a zombie that falls in love. Okay. And we've, uh, we, we published that and she and I had a great time doing it. She's getting all kinds of accolades at school because she's at 12, uh, a published author and, you know, the, uh, has the copyright of the book and she did the cover art and things like that. And then, um, we started writing the second book. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and we started working on the cover art for it. We're, we're doing the second book in the series to kind of extend it because we, we left it on a nice cliffhanger because we thought that would be fun. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we published uh, Love and Brains, and then um, I just <laughs> I love recently, the name. Uh, at the beginning of May um, put out Bloodline, um, which is, again, based on a true story uh, about um, four-generation um child abuse and child sexual molestation that occurred uh, out here in Pinal County that was uh, an amazing, uh, amazingly weird situation um, to kind of honor the uh, the investigator who uh, was a good, very good friend of mine who did those investigations before she retired and uh, to, to kind of show again, there's some really bad people out there and people need to be aware of, of what it is. So, Let's let's talk on that. There's a whole reason. Uh, there's a whole lot of reasons that I never did Kaku. Um, I, I'm a dad. I got daughters. Um, I'm a very self-aware man. Um, and 
I just don't personally think I could handle it. I don't think I could do it professionally. Um, I don't think I could keep my emotion out of it. So um, I, I've, you know, I, I'm promoting now. I'll be promoting a sergeant. So I'm. It's never going to be a thing for me now. Uh, my detective days are going to be done here soon, and uh, I did it all in property crimes and intelligence side and real time crime stuff like that because I can handle it. But you, yeah. after doing this career, this is something I want people to, other officers and, and other people to hear. What was the toll like for you? Um, the fact that I ended my career with the same wife that I started with is a testament only to her um, tenacity, I guess, pigheadedness, um, <laughs> tolerance <laughs> level. Um, it, it, it. I, I had to get out when I did. Um, yeah. There's just no other way to put it. I, there was a, a lot of emotional issues that came up um, through the course of it, especially raising kids while I was doing it. Uh, I can't look back on any of it with real regret because I, I know that I made a difference in the world to s at least some, some people, some kids, some, you know, some small part. Um, but it, it is definitely a, a difficult path that not everybody can walk in. Um, I've got some buddies that are still in it and, you know, God love them. They're, they're still able to, to muscle through every day. Um, part of my therapy when I got out to, to kind of get myself right again, um, was it was recommended that I do journaling and I never could really get the idea of sitting down every day, writing dear diary. But when I wrote my book, it was very cathartic. It was very helpful. And one of the things that I kind of recognized was there's always those cases that you think back at the end of the career and you go, man, I wonder what happened to this person, or I wonder what, what the resolution was on this. And part of the, the purpose of writing Bloodline was to give that closure um, to the investigators that I know worked those cases and, and had that same impact. And, uh, you know, I, I, I give God all the credit in the world for um, my success and for, for what I was able to do. But God kind of paid me back when I had just finished the first um, first version of Bloodline, and I had given it over to a buddy of mine to do to help me with some editing and things like that. And I went to go work an off duty one day, and as I was working it, um, this young lady came up to me and she goes, "Hey, you're you're with Pinal County, right?" And I said, "Yeah." And she goes, "I, I overheard you talking um, that you did child crimes." And I said, "Yeah." And she goes, um, "Does this name?" ring a bell to you. And the name that she threw out was the name of the suspect that bloodline is, is kind of written about. And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I just finished the first draft of my book about this. I, you know, I've been researching the cases and uh, talking to the investigators and doing all these kinds of things. And she said, I'm the little girl. Oh, and to, hopefully not ruin it if anybody wants to go out and buy a copy and read the book bloodline. But, um, one of the individuals that was written about in that, um, uh, kidnapped and sexually abused and left in the desert for dead, a six year old little girl. And wow. she's now 23. 
And I got the opportunity to meet her right after I wrote the book. Um, and I was able to chat with her and get her perspective and get her permission to write it um, and to publish it. And after doing that, I contacted some of the investigators that I knew that were involved in, in those cases. And I said, look, I got to tell you, um, you guys saved this girl. And she's an amazingly well-adjusted person considering what she went through. And she's doing really well and, and kind of caught them up on her life. And um, every one of them said, man, thank you so much for telling me that. That's the one case that over the years has kind of stuck in the back of my head. And I always wondered what happened to her. And I always hoped she did well. And I always hoped she got the treatment that she needed and all of these things. And it was able to bring a, a, a happy conclusion for so many investigators yeah. um, that you know, only God could have brought me there and put me in that place at that time to be able to help people, which is why we all get into this line of work in the first place to help people and to, to, to save people. And, and God helped me do that. And, um, so it, it really, the, the writing of these kinds of things has helped me cope with all of the things that I dealt with and look at it from a, a much different perspective than I did when I was actually working the cases and, and only seeing the, the, the evils and the bad side of things and to really recognize, um, the hand that I was able to play, uh, in, in making other people's lives better and, and God putting me where he needed me and giving me the, the ability to, to, to do those things and, and put up with what I put up with as long as I did. Yeah, that's a man. It, most, you know, this, this stat floats around out there, but most people see, you know, so many critical incidents in their life, um, yeah. which is like around five. And then you got cops that see them daily, you know, and right. that number multiplies. And then we start talking about accumulative PTSD and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it, every offense has its level of how bad it is. And that depends on the person. Right. You know, I see theft every day. It's really not a big deal to me. I'm like, oh, they, you know, they stole Fort Knox. Eh, it happens. You, <laughs> you get caught slipping with your security. Like I'm like, yeah, anybody can get their stuff stolen. Yeah. Um, but when you start talking about kid stuff, I mean that, that on almost everybody I know, that's the worst of the worst. And, um, yeah. 10 years of it and the amount that you're seeing it in, I mean, if you're getting those types of numbers and you're not the first detective I've heard talk about, it's more than you can imagine. Like to the point where you have to prioritize and some people you don't even bother with, which that in itself is a terrible stat to have to deal with. Um, it, it's almost like beating your head against the wall, catching people deal, doing drugs and dealing dope. Yep. You cut one snake's head off, another one grows, but you know, that's just kind of the... The nature of the beast, I would not think that that particular crime would be as prevalent as it is. And, and, that, and it's, it's sad that it is. And the only thing I can say is God bless the ones that are still doing it. And, and you know, if you had told me when I came out of the academy that I'd spend the better part of my career pretending to be a 14-year-old girl, um, I, I, I would have called you crazy. Yeah. Uh, but I can only hope that there are those people getting into law enforcement nowadays that are willing and able to, 
to go and do that and do that hard job because um, they're they're needed now more than ever. Um, you know, and you, you you mentioned earlier that you uh, are are having a conversation with Sheriff Lamb here before too long. Um, Sheriff Lamb used to like to introduce me as the best fourteen year old girl in the county, and he don't <laughs> leave it at that. Never put me any context to it and yeah. look at me like, like what? what are you talking about and then the context and it was fun and my wife uh my wife hated that she would always uh get very uncomfortable that i was introduced that, way. that is funny was, yeah that is funny oh my god I, i'm yeah, definitely gonna like, bring that up it was a distinction i never thought i'd have when i came <laughs> out of the academy but you know i, I wear right. this badge of honor now because you know it it was it was going out there and putting myself in the line of fire for those kids that helped save those kids, and that's uh, yeah, that's it, awesome. It makes it worth it. So, um, what what's life like for you now in the retirement gig? What what what's on the the horizon? I know you're out there spreading messages and awareness and stuff like that. So, what's that like? Um, you know, I'm 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 doing doing well. Um, I, I came back to the sheriff's office after teaching at ASU for a little bit, um, and I'm working in a civilian capacity as a background investigator, um, but I'm maintaining my certification so I can still go out and, uh, you know, do the fun cop stuff occasionally when uh, when it suits me. But um, mostly I'm writing my books and trying to spend more time with my kids and, and just, uh, you know, enjoy the second half. Um, I, I've got a couple more years of doing the background stuff. And then I'll, once, my, once my girls are off in college, we'll see where that takes us. My wife and I would like to do a lot of travel and we've got an RV that we uh, have taken out a couple of times to really go enjoy, enjoy the world and, and see what we can see. So. All um, right. Now what are you, what are you towing behind it? Um, so the, we've got a class um, class C that we drive and then we tow a, a Jeep Wrangler behind it. So when I we- knew it, Good yep. man, I when knew we it. Get there, we can go do some uh, do some play and uh, have some fun with it. Um, and I'll be out in your neck of the woods in August for the Dallas Crimes Against Children's Conference, okay. uh, doing some pre- presenting there. And I'll be there to sign my books and and sell them, and then um, be back out in November to visit some family and do some hunting. So hell yeah! Well, I will not be at that conference because <laughs> I don't do that stuff. Um, but if you're in the area, we can definitely meet up, have a beer yeah, uh, or awesome. whiskey or a burger, whatever the hell you want. That's fine. Absolutely. And uh, you can give me an autographed book. Absolutely. So, <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad that you're a Jeep guy. I've had three in my yep. life. So my very first Jeep was an 89 Wrangler. Uh, I don't recommend anybody have one of those these days. It's carbureted. It's a pain in the ass, but it is a straight six and it's easy to work on. So yeah, there's that. We've but, got a, uh, we've got a, a 20, uh, 15, uh, I'm sorry, 16 and, uh, love it. Take it off road whenever we can. Uh, and then the other thing that I do, um, when I have a couple of spare minutes, which isn't as much as I'd like, but it, it's there, um, since 2006, I've been a member of the 501st and being a star Wars geek. Um, Oh, the, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm like the five. I'm thinking military. I'm like, Oh, I know what the five first. So you got the, so you got the whole getup then. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, nice. I'm an arc trooper and, uh, I go out and do charity events for kids okay. and, and different an things. arc and, trooper. That's what you went with. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I would have been right a Mandalorian. As, right. As the clone wars were, were going. And so, uh, I got to do some of that and I've gotten to troop, um, 
all around Arizona. I, I tr actually trooped in Costa Rica. Um, I was on Costa Rican national television as Darth Vader, which was kind of cool. Uh, and I've gotten to meet uh, 501st members from all around the world. And, and I don't get to troop as often as I'd like, but uh, it's something yeah. that I've kept kept up as a passion project so so for those that aren't aware the 501st is a star wars um the gear the stuff they wear is all um certified correct right. it has to be a certain certification for you to to be a part of it so that way when you guys show up to comic-con and all that stuff it's uh it you fit in with the group you're legit and uh right. you're not just wearing the you know, the Kmart brand. <laughs> and, it, and it's it's a charity costuming organization. We we go out and raise money for uh, different charities. We go to children's hospitals. We go to uh, a number of different events. But then, um, like you said, the the movie, the, the quality of the armor is movie quality. Um, John Favreau in the first season of The Mandalorian needed additional troopers and didn't have enough costumes. And so he contacted the 501st yep. and out in LA and had some of their troopers come out and act in the, uh, in the backgrounds. So yep. they had enough troopers. Um, the 501st has trooped in the Rose Bowl parade. Um, we do some parades out here in Arizona and I know the garrisons all around the world are doing great things, uh, trying to bring awareness and, and help out different children's charities, uh, make a wish stuff like that. And, uh, it, nice. armor that, yeah, it, there's there's some pretty exacting standards to it. So there's two things I've been wanting to do. Okay, um, I want uh, the heavy gunner uh, Mandalorian suit. Yep. Like if I could just get a movie quality one, I want that one. Um, but then I had my own idea for my own Mando suit, uh, and I want to do a cop one, like a mm -hmm. like a SWAT cop where it's you know. Um, it, it, the the eye visor thing comes down. It's got red and blues on it. It you're basically dressed like what a SWAT guy, um, you know, like a blacked out SWAT with, guy with would the be shield wearing. and yeah, yes, yes. And get that helmet. I don't know if you've seen it. I think it's like an airsoft helmet. I don't think it's a real ballistic helmet, but I'm sure some crazy person's made it. But it's it it, it looks. It, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about when you see it. But it looks badass. Um, Matter of fact, I'm going to pull it up for you because I'm we're nerding out now, baby. Like, yeah, at this one is... point in time, I was working on some Mando gear myself, and I painted my bucket to with the tan and green that we use uh, for our uniforms out here. And I was oh, going yeah. to do something similar, and I found the um, Mandalorian police officer action figure that Hasbro came out with um, that has the shield. And so I was going to make the shield out of some foam and, and stuff like that, and I just never got uh, finished with all of it. But yeah, I had to... A similar idea. If you go to the Mando Mercs, they have armorers and they will help you build all of that. They have the designs and patterns and everything. And for what is typically a pretty reasonable price for the cost of the ABS and stuff, you can um, you can build your own Mandalorian armor or 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 stormtrooper or whatever uh, whatever it is you want. Okay. Yeah, this is that helmet I was talking about. Yeah, it, um, it it actually is a ballistic helmet. Yeah. But that that's what I was thinking. Like, get like, obviously, I'm not going to go out and buy the actual ballistic gear. Screw that. Um, I ain't got that. Well, shit. It might end up costing the same amount by the end. <laughs> but that was kind of the idea. I'd like to get this, black it out, and, uh, and, and, and kind of put some cop lights on there. And I just thought that would be fun for myself. Yep. But... 
No, that's cool, man. Well, brother, uh, I don't have anything else that I have pressing. I could talk Star Wars crap all day. Is there anything that you can think of that you wanted to hit that we didn't touch on yet? No, you know, I I appreciate you having me on. I I love being able to to get some education out there and and sit and just kind of BS with somebody about, uh, you know, all the different things that pop into my uh, my crazy little brain and, um, you know, to to raise some awareness and, and stuff. Um, I, the only other thing I'd say is, you know, anybody that's heard something that strikes a note or that they have questions on, um, welcome to go to my website and send me an email and I'm happy to point them in the direction if they need help with, um, child safety, there's information on that. Uh, if, if it's another Leo that's having some issues with some PTS or anything, I've got some links and things to that, uh, for some really great organizations that I've come across um, that have helped me and, and have helped people that I know. And, uh, there's links to be able to get copies of my books on my website too. Um, but I'm always available to, uh, to answer questions or try and offer suggestions to get the education out there to educate parents, educate teachers, educate kids, and, and just try and keep everybody safe. What, what's your website? Uh, it is Snyder 1193.weebly.com. Got it. And okay. go in there. There's, uh, like I said, links to my books. Um, we links go. to uh, all kinds of different things up along the top there. You can see that there's stuff for uh, internet safety resources. The the information that I talked about earlier for um, uh, Smart Social is on there. Um, and I do offer, if anybody's interested, um, I, I can put on internet safety trainings, um, either virtually or in person. And I'm always happy to go out and uh, do that sort of thing, talk to individuals or, or groups and be able to put the information out. Jedi cop. I like it. Um, who designed your website? I did. You got some I've been work playing to... with it for a little while and, and just... You got some work to do, to, bud. I'm going to bust your balls right now. <laughs> <laughs> this this could be cleaner. I, it's it's not real pretty. I, I'm... I'm you know, <laughs> doing the best I got with what I got at the moment. This is what cops do to each other. Yeah. Talk shit. I'm like, <laughs> come on, man. No, it's got a lot of good information, though. You are absolutely right. I like the uh, Internet Safety Resources page right now. I'm looking at that. Um, yeah, so let me say it for those that are just listening. Snyder, S-N-Y-D-E-R, 1193, and that's the numbers, 1193, dot Weebly, W. E E B L Y dot com. So all I did was typed in Snyder eleven ninety three in Google and it was the first thing that popped up. So you guys can check out his site there. But other than that, brother, and me busting your balls about your website. <laughs> I'm gonna tell Matt, I was like, ah, yeah, we got on. I waited till the very end to talk shit. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and I expect it to uh, it's just it's just how we communicate and I'm good it with it. So it is, it is. It's how we should love. I told, I just had a conversation with my kids yesterday. It, you know, they're, they do get a little offended when dad teases them about certain things. And, um, you know, I had to break it down for him. Like, listen, we need to have a talk when dad's making fun of you or you think he's like yelling at you. I'm like that. I had to explain to him, like, if you, people I don't like, I don't talk to. <laughs> I'm very quiet around. If I just say, you know, your cordial things like, hi, how are you? Like, if I keep it like that, that's probably because I don't like that dude. Right. I'm like, but if I'm constantly picking on you, 
It's just my way of showing love. I'm like, hey, so if daddy does it too. It's because I want to talk to you. Yes. I was like, so dad's giving you too much shit. Like, let me know, chill out or whatever, but just know it's not because I'm, I'm picking on you because I don't like you. So, right. um, but all right, brother, I will, uh, as soon as, uh, we get done here, just hold on and, um, I will talk offline. Sound good. Sounds good. All right, man. I appreciate you being on. Thank you. Yep, thank you. Thank you.